Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God. Go ahead and give the round of applause to our team and to God. Praise the Lord. Hey, everybody, want to welcome you, especially if you're streaming the service online. For those of you who are in the house, let's just wave to everybody who's online so they can see us. Feels good to kind of stretch, doesn't it? And uh, if you are online, text the word hello to the number on the screen. Hey, even before we get started, I, I want to ask you to do something special for a friend of mine. Some of you all know the Yatito family, Vinny and Judy, big part of our church. Judy is recovering from a fall. And she's had a struggling season. She's getting better. God is showing up. Some good things are happening. But she's streaming the service right now. Can we just wave to her and tell her we love her? Come on. There it is. Great. Great, great. We love you too, Vinny. Uh, we do love you too. But we, we love Judy. All right. Hey, uh, and I want to say let's honor our new partners, right? I mean, come on. It's exciting. It's exciting. And so God is doing some great things. The church is growing even in a pandemic. So, all right, here's the thing. We're going to get busy this morning. So grab uh, your COH app, grab your Bible. We're going to start a new series. And uh, today we're calling the series Descending into Greatness. Say that with me. Descending into Greatness. Sounds like this. Say it again, descending into greatness. All right. And we're going to use this as a, 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 a series to help us walk through uh, the season of Lent. Now, here's what we've been saying for those of you new or this is not part of your tradition. The season of Lent uh, is the 40 days prior to Easter, not including Sundays. And it's a time when we focus more uh, uh, especially on the ministry and the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's what we do during the season of Lent. The season of Lent begins uh, on Ash Wednesday, which, which was this past Wednesday. And uh, uh, some traditions, lots of Christian traditions, will use Ash Wednesday as a, sign, uh, as a remembrance of all that God has done. And uh, we, uh, they will get ashes placed on their forehead in the sign of the cross. And I think we have uh, some pictures we were doing that. We did that here at Community of Hope. Uh, if you'd have told me years ago that we would be doing an Ash Wednesday service and we'd be putting ashes on people's foreheads with a Q-tip, I thought that'd be funnier. That, I would have never believed that. But here we are, and, and every now and again, people ask me the question, so we're, we're kind of a contemporary church. We do some of these ancient uh, future kinds of things. I mean, isn't Ash Wednesday sort of a Catholic thing? Here's what I want to say. No, it's not. Uh, no offense, but uh, Ash Wednesday actually goes all the way back to the Council of Nicaea, which was in 325 uh, AD. Some of you have been reading in the book of Acts. You get to Acts chapter 16 or 17. You learn about the Council of Jerusalem. The very next council was a couple hundred years later, 325 AD, Emperor Constantine commissioned that all of those uh, serious-minded Christians would come together, leaders of the early church, and they would. Um, what they did is they decided... Uh, in, in, in to write down what is essential about the Christian experience because they know it's true in human nature. We can tend to forget. How many of you would say, I can tend to forget important things? You ever forget important things? 
when Beth and I were first uh, getting together and we were uh, dating one another, and you know, there comes that moment, you're just kind of getting to know one another. And, and, and I don't know how the conversation came up, but we asked each other our birthdays and uh, told her when mine was. And then, and then she told me when, when hers was. And um, I kind of fumbled the ball the first time we were dating. So and and I it wasn't the twenty uh, her birthday's twenty second of June I I gave her presents I think I, it was like the nineteenth of June, and so I, I fumbled it I we, she still married me anyway it's great, but but here's the thing and I think you'd agree, you you would probably identify with this so for the next couple of years right what do you think happened when June nineteenth came on I was nervous like that I was going to miss the birthday again like I was going to mess it up and we need to remember uh, important things. And historically, the season of Lent is a time in our calendar where we're invited to remember, remember all that Jesus went through so that you and I can live lives uh, as forgiven and free people. Someone say amen to that. So we don't want to forget that stuff, right? I mean, and here's, here's the thing. Whenever the Bible talks about sin, it, it sometimes talks about it in a, in a monetary way. It talks about this. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6. He said, the wages of sin is death. Isn't that an interesting phrase? The wages of sin. So sin, sin purchases for us death. But the gift of eternal life comes through what Jesus has done on the cross. And so sometimes there's this kind of language. We, we sing a, a song around here every now and again that says this. Maybe you can sing it with me. It goes, G, G, hold on. Hold on, I got to get it in my brain. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's, that's a song that we sing because we, we want to remember that we don't have to walk in sin. Hallelujah. We don't have to walk in shame. We don't have to walk in guilt. And we want to remember, remember why this is. And so, you know, um, here's what I was thinking about um, in, in this series. Uh, I want us to consider uh, in this series what Jesus has done and why it's important. I remember um, tell a little story of my uh, one of my daughters when when our girls were younger. Beth and I made a commitment early on, and we were going to go into ministry. We said, "You know what? If we go into ministry, and at the end of the experience, if God gives us children, and our children are not walking in the faith, uh, we decided early on. We said that would be a failure for us." And early on, I'll just give you a little little thing between Beth and I. We kind of fist bumped. Actually, we smooched over it. <laughs> but we said, you know what? If 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 being a, a couple in ministry uh, was impacting our kids in a negative way, we would leave the ministry. And that's just something we we said. And so we we tried to help our kids know and understand these important things. One year, Shelly uh, gave me a Bible. Uh, and she gave it to me for Christmas, and uh, I still carry it with me. It's in my truck right now. If I go to the hospital, it's kind of the Bible that I carry. And she, and she drew a picture on the front, and that's a picture of Jesus, uh, I guess, on the tree. And she says, why? And, and we want to remember. Even now today, Shelly and I will sometimes we'll text each other, and we'll just go, why? We just want to remember. And so what I want to do in this series, you guys, here's the thing. 
I want to talk about some of the conventional things that we should uh, know about Jesus in this season. And in this way, I'm going to invite us to remember together. Part of the Christian faith is remembering. It's not all of the Christian faith, but it's part of the Christian faith. And then I want to talk to you about, um, I, I guess, some of the unconventional things that are a part uh, of Jesus and his story. And in this way, I want us to learn together. So we're going to remember together, and we're going to learn together. And that's part of the component of what it means to be uh, followers of Christ uh, in this day. And uh, because when I think about this, here's what kind of comes to my mind. Uh, I think there's a lot of pieces around this because, um, you know, the, the enormity of Jesus' life, the single, solitary, incredible life is, is huge, and there's a lot connected to it. Uh, one of the things I do as a pastor is I read a lot, and, and when I read, I mark books up, and I collect quotes and ideas. I've been doing that now almost my whole life, it feels like. And one of my favorite quotes about the enormity of the life of Jesus, I think I've even shared this before, comes from a guy by the name of Jaroslav Pelikan, who is a historian at Yale University. And listen to what he says. He says, regardless, really, of what anyone may think personally or believe about Jesus, Jesus Christ remains the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. His impact is second to none. And he says, if it were possible with some sort of super magnet to pull up out of history every scrap of metal bearing at least a trace of his name, nothing would be left. So I think one of the things I love about that, that we would honor the, the season of Lent is, isn't it good every now and again to let's learn. Let's remember. Because I don't know about you, I, I want to take all of the facets of Jesus' life and I want to stuff them into my own soul. I, I want to get it. How many of you would say, I want to get it? And so that's what I want us to do in this series. I was thinking about this, the, the normity of his sacrifice, the normity of his humility. I mean, even this, humility, even that. What about humility? I mean, the, when we talk about the sacrifice of Jesus, we'll often, we often will link these two things together, the enormity of his sacrifice and the enormity of his willingness to humble himself, to die on a cross for people he doesn't even know, quote, unquote. Right? I mean, that kind of humility, where'd that come from? Was that on his divine side? Was that on... On his, on, on his human side? I mean, there's all these mystery. I mean, was humility something that was embedded in the culture and he saw it and he emulated it? I mean, where does that happen? I mean, the idea of humility even as a virtue, has it always been a virtue? Turns out, it's interesting, turns out it, it, it wasn't always a virtue. And, and it's interesting because I think we'd all agree, which is, which is a bold thing for me to say because we hardly agree on anything anymore, right? So I, I think we'd all agree that these days that whenever we see examples of humility, we're inspired by it, right? I remember years ago, I've already 
shared a little about Shelly. I remember years ago when Shelly was cheering with her friends and the, the football team she was cheering for played Benjamin School up in the North End. And I'll never forget this. After the game was over, uh, I took Beth and, and, and Shelly. I, I said, let's, let's go get ice cream. There's a good ice cream shop up here. And I whizzed them around the corner. We, we went to the ice cream shop. We go walking in the ice cream shop. And I said, hey, listen, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go uh, wash my hands. And uh, you guys get in line. We can make this thing kind of move along a little faster. And so, you know, we, we go to do that. I, I come out of the bathroom. I open the, the bathroom door and I walk out. And Shelly is engrossed in a conversation with Jack Nicholas. <laughs> Kid you not. I'm just watching this go down. I'll show you a picture. There he is. Greatest, one of the arguably greatest golfer in the world. Done more for the sport of golf than anybody. And, and I'm watching this go down. Here's Shelly. She's talking. Jack is asking her about the game, the cool plays of the game and all this. And I come walking up to Jack. Obviously, I recognized him. I think he recognized me. I think there was this sort of interchange that was, you know, going on. And I was, I was inspired by, by Jack's humility. I mean, there wasn't this air. He was just asking her, like, you know, what's, you know, what grade are you in? He was asking all this sort of stuff, cool stuff. And we got in the car afterwards, and I said, I, I said, Shelly, that was so cool. Uh, and I said, I thought that was so neat, inspiring to see this guy. And I said, it was, I said, I'm in, I'm inspired by you. I'm proud of you that you kept your wits about you. I mean, here you are talking to Jack Nicholas of all people. And Shelly goes, who's Jack Nicholas? <laughs> Great. Humility. I mean, when we see it, it's inspiring. How many of y'all saw a couple of weeks ago, I'll show you a picture of this guy right here. Um, Trevor's so excited about him because he made the Bucks something, and the Bucks have been nothing for a long time. And uh, and and here's here's Brady, and and I was watching when they when the Buccaneers won the NFC game that that gave them the berth into uh, the Super Bowl, and all of the reporters are clamoring around Tom Brady, and there comes this really cool moment where Brady just stops it, shuts it down, and he said, "Hey guys." You've heard enough from me. I mean, actually, I play on a team. And why don't, why don't you interview some of these other guys? And, and he turned around and he just went and got in the back of the line and pushed everybody forward. It was inspiring to see that. In 2010, I was inspired by this guy. I want to show you a picture of him. Uh, his name is actually, we'll show it. His name is Warren Buffett. There he is. And uh, Warren Buffett, arguably one of the richest people in the world. And in 2010, he decided as a, in a great act of humility, uh, he said, you know, I've got enough money, right? And, and, he, and, he, and he decided he started this thing called the Giving Pledge. And he went around to some of his extremely wealthy friends, and he challenged them, listen to this, before you die, not after you die, before you die, give away half of your income. And so to date, I think there's 211 people, uh, extremely wealthy people in this in, that are part of the Giving Pledge. They've signed the document. To date, I think they've given away 660-some-odd billion dollars. And so there's something about humility that's inspiring. There's something about humility that's um, persuasive. But here's what I want you to know. It wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. In fact, um, if you go back to biblical times, with that sort of filter in front of us, uh, it would have been somebody, I want to show you another picture, it would have been somebody like this guy, 
This is an image of Herod. It would have been somebody like Herod, not Jesus, who would have been a picture of greatness. Because in Jesus' day, humility wasn't honored. Greatness was. Power was. And so you look at that with that kind of a filter. You look at Herod. Here he is, born of noble birth, leader of armies. Herod was so highly regarded by the Roman Senate, they named him king of the Jews when he was only 33 years old. He was so politically skilled that he held on to his throne for over 40 years, and he persuaded Caesar Augustus to retain him, even after he backed Augustus' sworn mortal enemy. You might remember his name, Mark Antony. No one built more than Herod in his day, and in fact, some of what Herod built remains to this day. We think about Jesus, and scholars believe he, he, he lived in a little town a region of, of all of the familiar towns we know, but it was a little place called Sephoris. And people think that Jesus was a carpenter for Sephoris and he built for uh, Herod's brother. And we would say nothing of what Jesus built as a carpenter probably remains to this day. And so what the world honored back then was power, the power of Rome greatness. And I, cause I mentioned Caesar Augustus, let me, let me just throw up a real quick, quick picture of him. Caesar Augustus was born Gaius Octavius. He was adopted by his great uncle Julius Caesar. You're familiar with him. And then he took the name Gaius Julius Caesar in 27 BC. The Senate awarded him the name Augustus, which means the illustrious one and he became known as Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus. And the point I want to make here is that in the ancient world, Greeks and Romans thought nothing of praising themselves in public or trying to inspire others to praise them. And in fact, in one grand move toward the latter part of his reign, one of the greatest examples of this is how Augustus himself, by his own order, inscribed had inscribed on bronze tablets to be set up at his mausoleum this huge list of all his accomplishments, a catalog of all the great things he had done to invite and bestow on himself honor and pride. In the ancient world, you never expressed humility laterally or you never expressed humility down. But something changed that. And when you study humility as a virtue, you know what you discover? You discover the imprints of the one we have just sung to all over it. And we might ask ourselves this morning, I mean, what was it? What was the tangible quality of the life of Jesus that began to, to make virtue, uh, 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 humility a virtue. We might ask ourselves, I mean, was it, maybe it was his teachings, right? I mean, Jesus was one of the greatest teachers ever, right? Maybe the greatest teacher ever. I mean, I was writing some things down. Here's some of his teaching. Uh, in Matthew 22, he said this, you know what? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And Jesus went on to say, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. He went on to say, because all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What was he saying there? That, we, we know that today is simply the, the, the golden rule. There's the golden rule right there. I mean, was, was it his teachings that, that, that changed, you know, and, and, and ushered in humility as a virtue? Uh, you know, we might look at some of his greatest teaching, right? I could open up to Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they're the ones who will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are peacemakers. Blessed are peacemakers for they'll be called God's children. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Was it his teachings? You know, it's interesting. Scholars say, as great as those were, it wasn't his teaching. We might point to this. We might say, well, maybe if it wasn't Jesus' teaching, I mean, was it his persona? I mean, Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus, meek and mild, he did cast a big shadow. I mean, you look at some of the things that represent kind of who he was. I, I love the story in Matthew chapter 9 where, where Matthew the tax collector says this, you know, that when Jesus um, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is God in heaven uh, having compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like shepherd a sheep without a shepherd, and he turned to his disciples and he said, you know what, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers so that the compassion of the kingdom can go forward. I mean, maybe it was his persona. I love, Or maybe it's a story in John which gives us an, some insight into his persona. I mean, here Jesus is called alongside of Mary and Martha after his friend Lazarus dies. And it says this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along, they were also weeping. Jesus, I mean, this is God in in flesh. He was so deeply moved in spirit and troubled that he went to her and he said, where have you laid him? And she said, come and see, Lord. And when Jesus got there, the Bible says, Jesus wept. Was it his persona? And you know, it's interesting. Scholars say, nope, wasn't his persona. Good, as magnificent as it was, wasn't his teachings as great as they were. You know what it was? It was his death. It was his death. And in the Roman world, um, there were three ways that the Roman government exercised capital punishment. You, you've heard of them. One way is they would lop your head off, decapitation. In the 9 o'clock service, I said that was easy, quick, once and done. And then I thought, maybe I shouldn't say that. 
Another way was they would burn people at the stake. That was another way to carry out the justice of Rome. But it's the third way that we remember as part of religious history, right? There was crucifixion. And the crucifixion was um, arguably, it was the most difficult, uh, it was the most gruesome, it was the most painful, and let me just say this, y'all, it was the most shameful. Uh, When Jesus died on a Roman cross, he died with no dignity, convicted, beaten, bleeding, abandoned, naked, and shamed. Uh, We could arguably make the case that Jesus, who was God in flesh, when he was crucified, he had fallen to the lowest form and to the lowest place on earth at the time. And something happened right there. And when scholars study the the subject of humility as a virtue, they say that somewhere between A.D. 33 and 60, 61, 62 A.D., the idea of humility as a virtue began to take hold. And and then a guy like Paul comes along and he writes the most clearest Christological understanding of the express life of Jesus in ancient writings. And we have it preserved. And in Philippians 2, and I want you to notice, I want you to notice the rhythm. Paul says, therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if there's any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own personal interests, but each of you look to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mind as Christ Jesus. And watch us. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every other name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, it's interesting. When uh, someone dies, there's kind of an arc to their life. You kind of study it. You can see it. It's an arc that ascends. Normally when someone dies, their impact on the world then, listen, begins to recede. But as with so many things about Jesus, he inverted this normal human trajectory as he did with so many other things. If someone's legacy will outlast their life, it usually becomes apparent when they die. In fact, on the day Herod died, on the day uh, uh, Caesar Augustus died, or Socrates, or Mohammed, or Napoleon, their reputations were immense. But when Jesus died, his tiny failed movement appeared clearly at an end. One writer says, if there were a kind of most likely to posthumously succeed award given on the day of death to history's most influential people, Jesus would have come in dead last. But Interestingly, Jesus' impact was greater a hundred years after his death than during his life. It was greater still 500 years later, and after a thousand years, his legacy began to lay the foundation for much of Europe. And after 2,000 years, he has more followers than any person on the globe. And his life and his teaching and his crucifixion made history simply by drawing people to follow him, making history by starting in a humble place in a spirit of love and acceptance, allowing each person the space to respond. He deliberately placed his life on a collision course with Rome where he would have been crushed like a gnat, and he was crushed. But his life changed everything. You know, it's interesting. One of the ways that that renowned people try to assure their legacy uh, is to invite people somehow to name themselves or their loved ones after them, right? And my sense would be that on the day Jesus was died, nobody in that little circle was lining up to name their son Jesus. But I find it interesting that today we name our dogs Caesar. And the interesting thing I want us to understand, and this is what we're going to explore in this series, is that I, I, I think we are living at an unprecedented time in human history we're, we're experiencing a crisis of humility. We have ego without limits. We have a selfie culture fixated on itself. Young people see themselves as a brand. 
And so people exploit them and they exploit themselves. We demand our rights at every moment. And somewhere between A.D. 33 and A.D. 62, Paul would say this, flip the world upside down, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't do a single thing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourselves. Every single person you know or run into, put them first. Have the same mind and look out on your, uh, not on your own interests, but on the interests of others and in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus. Can I tell you all something? I think there must come a moment in the life of every Christ follower whereby we accept Jesus' invitation into a counterintuitive, countercultural, existential reckoning with our addiction to up. And the Bible says that Jesus took the form of a servant. And his people will have their greatest impact on a world that's lost its way and gone totally insane by serving and loving our neighbors. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Humility is a virtue. Wasn't around. It was all about power. It was all about control. And Jesus said, my people will learn to lead in humility. All this series, what, what I want to do, like I said at the beginning, I, I, I want to talk about some of the conventional things about Jesus' life, and we'll remember. But I want to talk about some unconventional things about Jesus' life, and we'll learn. And there's so much to learn. I want to invite you into prayer, and uh, we will often say here at Community of Hope, let's take the posture of prayer and just, you know, with our hands in front of us, just representing we're open to hear God, and let's just pray together. Lord, um, I thank you today that, uh, Lord, uh, by your death on a Roman cross, you showed what it is to love in, in such an enormous way, oh God, the world has never been the same since. But God, sometimes in, in each of our own generations, in each of our, our seasons, there come these moments of reckoning when, God, you are inviting your people once again to stand by the eternal promises, not even exemplified in your persona, not maybe even exemplified in your teachings, as great as those things are, but exemplified in the way that you give yourself as a sacrifice to others. Somehow, Lord, we want to live humble lives 
that point people toward you. God, would you help us wherever in this space you want to speak to our human heart where you would say, watch out for that. Don't let that get the best part of you. Be careful there. Don't redline that so that our lives can matter, so that our love can be real. This we pray in the name of Christ. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? I want to offer you the benediction, and I just want to say to you, when you leave here, this kind of humility is on display. So God, would you help us to leave this space thankful for all that you've accomplished? Would you give us the courage and the passion, O Lord, to live lives that matter in this world as people who don't yet know you are watching us? May we point them toward you even as we go in your peace, for we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.